Man, I love summer. I hope you feel that way too. We have a we have a beautiful day in Chicagoland. They don't come as often as I'd like sometimes, but we've got one now. And I'm excited about this summer series, if you will. I suppose it's a misnomer to call it a series in some ways, but essentially what we've got is six weeks where some of us preachers get to pull some of our favorite passages, kind of the the top 10 list, if you will. And as a result, I expect that this uh, study together will be rich just because we're able to gravitate to those sections of Scripture that have been moving us deeply uh, as of late. I'm doing the first two weeks, this weekend, next weekend, and then I will be getting a study break uh, from preaching. We're going to have four guest preachers. Uh, Michael Radelnik is coming in, and Jared Stevens, and Gene Apple. These are some phenomenal guys. I, uh, I know some of you are very excited. Some have conveyed to me, I can't wait for Michael Radelnik. I'm a little offended when you celebrate too much, and so just be careful with that, right? Well, as a means of transitioning into our, our message today, I wanted to share with you that uh, Friday, just two days ago, was my wife and I's anniversary, our 22nd wedding anniversary. Can I, oh, thank you. Here's a picture of Jen and I at our, our wedding. We reminisced about that day, the most glorious day. Uh, Jen is a romantic, and she wanted our wedding, our reception to be the greatest of celebrations. You know, I think sometimes a woman just dreams of everything being perfect. Well, try as you may, sometimes planning the perfect thing is just bound to collapse. And I'll just tell you, uh, we, uh, we arrived at our wedding reception. This picture is actually taken. It was, it's the Lake Forest Academy. This old historic institution is where we had our outdoor reception, and it was really beautiful. But things started to go awry the minute we arrived. We had worked so hard on assigning tables for everybody. We had spent a whole night figuring out who needs to sit with who in order to maximize their comfort and enjoyment. And then the gal who was responsible for setting up the little name tags, which indicated what table, she dropped the ball, and as a result, everyone's kind of looking around, and we had to announce, um, sit anywhere. Just grab a table and introduce yourself to those that you're sitting with. And my wife's like, oh, man. And then the food. We had just this unbelievable gourmet food, but I wanted to sit down and start eating it right away. Uh, I've always loved food, and as you can see back then, I didn't get enough of it, and I... <laughs> My wife said, Jeff, we can't eat yet. We first need to greet our guests. You know, they're a little uncomfortable because they're not sitting in the right place. They don't know the people. And so it's our job to go around. And I'm like, she goes, prioritize people over food, Jeff. And we could have gotten in our first marital fight, but I chose to just die to my hunger. And so we went around greeting everybody, and we greeted so long that I missed the meal entirely. By the time I came ready to eat, they said, all the food's been cleaned up and it's all been distributed. I'm like, this is, I mean, we're spending a lot of money and I get nothing? The cake. You say, well, at least the wedding cake. Yes, my wife had brainstormed with this baker to create the most gorgeous wedding cake ever. I think it had like four stories and pillars and frosting and everything. 
The lady was wheeling it into, yeah, you see it coming, don't you? Wheeling it into the reception and in a hurry and turned the corner a little too swiftly and this towering cake, ba-boom, all over, on the wall, on the ground. Can you believe it? My wife and I, this is no joke, after the reception, we went to McDonald's. Me and my tuxedo, Jen in her wedding gown, enjoying Big Macs together. Isn't that unbelievable? Our wedding reception illustrates one of the frustrating realities of life. And that is that we dream big and we have ideas for how things are supposed to go. And yet it never seems to work out according to our plans. Isn't that true? And the passage that we're going to get into comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. Have you studied Ecclesiastes before? Ecclesiastes talks a lot about that, about this frustrating nature of life. Man, why do things just not work out the way we want them to or the way we feel they should? And so we're going to study it together and learn together. So as we turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, I want to just show you something that you maybe already noticed. We have new pew Bibles. They used to be red, remember that? Now they're black, and it's more than just the color. We're, we're going back. You say, oh man, you're a backwards kind of guy. We're going back to a version of the Bible that the Compass Church used to utilize. That's the New International Version. We have been, more recently, been using the New Living Translation. Both outstanding versions. If you have the New Living Translation, I celebrate that as an excellent version. But as I have personally uh, wrestled with what version is best for me to preach from, the, the more literal uh, nature of the NIV is a better fit for me. As I like to point to some of the original language and some of the original wording, the, the NIV is a little more literal and, and therefore a better fit. And so I apologize if you just bought a new Living Translation Bible and now you're like, oh, doggone it. Well, it's still a good Bible. Hold on to it. Read it for your own personal study, but if you don't mind, we're going to use the NIV as we study together. And so in your new pew Bible, I would encourage you to turn to page 669, 669, where we find... Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7. I love this verse. Ready? Go eat your food with gladness. You can see why I love this verse right off the bat. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. Some people don't like the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, those who don't like it, it's usually that part that they don't like, this theme of meaninglessness occurs again and again and again in this relatively short book. We find life called meaningless 35 times, lest you think that this little section's the only place. Not so. Again and again, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, 
Let's be honest, life is meaningless. And that's bothersome. Some have just kind of skipped the book entirely, saying that's too pessimistic for my optimistic bent. I don't believe that the writer of Ecclesiastic is a pessimist or a cynic, but a realist. And as we get in to understand what this concept of meaningless means, I think you're going to agree with him. All right? And what's interesting, to understand what meaningless means, we're going to go back <laughs> to Romans 8. We just finished a series in Romans 8 called Broken, studying the second half of that chapter. And oddly enough, Paul in Romans 8 quotes from Ecclesiastes, the only New Testament quotation of Ecclesiastes. And so if you will, let's go back for a moment at Romans 8, verse 20. This was a passage that we studied for our very first week in that series. Do you remember this? It said, the creation was subjected to frustration. The creation was subjected to frustration. And we talked about how the world we see is the result of two events, not one. The original creation, which was beautiful, and the curse, the fall of humanity that resulted in this broken state of our world. Remember that? I had the painting that I vandalized and slashed, and we saw that's two events, the creation and the frustration. Now, what's interesting about the word frustration is when translated, uh, when we look at the Greek word uh, that is translated frustration, it's mata, mata otes, otes, mata otes, mata otes, that's it, mata otes. And what's interesting about mata otes is that when you look in the Greek version of the Old Testament, and you say, wait, in the Old Testament in Hebrew? Yes, originally it was. But in the days of Paul, there was a Greek version that Paul would have utilized called the Septuagint. And in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word meaningless in Ecclesiastes is mataiotes. And so that equals meaningless. Isn't that interesting? And so when Paul says, let's talk about the mataiotes, he's talking about what Ecclesiastes talked about 35 times. And that is the brokenness the frustrating nature, the meaninglessness of our world. And so it's important for us to realize that when Ecclesiastes talks about meaninglessness, it's talking about the condition of our world that results from the fall. In fact, some have described Ecclesiastes as commentary on Genesis 3, the fall and the curse of our world. When the writer of Ecclesiastes points to meaninglessness, he's referring to that brokenness that we just studied, that frustrating nature of life. In fact, I really like the translation frustration better than I like meaningless. It's, it's pointing to that life is frustrating. In Ecclesiastes, he, talks it a, he calls it a chasing after the wind. You know, you, you pursue goals and objectives like the perfect wedding reception, and you get so close, but it just seems to elude you. It slips through your fingers. It never works out the way it's supposed to. Can anybody relate? That's what life is like. When you read more of the examples in the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about this irony about how, why is it that the fool seems to succeed and have great success? Everything goes well for the fool. 
But to the wise man, to the diligent one, sometimes it seems like everything goes against them. And I look at the people who are rich and I look at the people who are poor and it doesn't make sense. Why do they get blessed with a pregnancy and they don't? And why did his business go under when his succeeded? And life is frustrating. And not only this concept in Mataiotes is, is frustration, it's, it's confusion as well. Frustration and confusion. You just can't make sense of it. Why does the college-age man die of cancer when he has so much potential? Why does the little child experience this tragedy early on? In, in life, try as we may to figure out why everything happens the way it does. One of the inevitable conclusions that those who look honestly at life will come to this conclusion. Because of this curse, because of the rebellion, life is frustrating and confusing. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes talks a lot about. And yet here's the irony. In that passage that you chuckled at, it said, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Am I supposed to enjoy life or grieve it as frustrating? And the answer is yes. Both. Grieve it as frustrating, because it is. But don't let your recognition of the frustrating nature and the fact that you can't figure out why things happen the way they do, don't let that stop you from enjoying it. In so many ways, this message is going to be an exclamation point on our series, Broken. Because though we take in all of the brokenness as, you know, it's part of the broken world we live in, it's frustrating. We must not become pessimists who say, well, then therefore there is no goodness in life. There is no reason for joy and celebration. God says, there is. Life is a mixed bag. Yes, the frustration and confusion remains. But the goodness and grace of God is seen in the land of the living, and we must enter into that goodness and laugh from the gut, dance and sing and enjoy life. Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's work our way through uh, the passage, I want to make three observations of what we must enjoy, all right? According to these verses, there are three things we should enjoy because God's given all three of them. And the first is we need to enjoy the gifts. God has given us good gifts. He has provided for us with provision of our basic necessities and beauty. And we need to enjoy it. Look at the, the verses. Go and eat your food with gladness. Sometimes I woof down food so fast that, that all of a sudden I'll like look at my chocolate cake and it's gone and I don't even remember eating it. And, and this passage is saying, no, no, don't do that. Savor and enjoy deeply what God has given. Uh, drink your wine with a joyful heart. I, I had a, uh, <laughs> when I was growing up, there was a guy 
one of my friend's fathers, and he was a coffee groaner. Do you know what that is? That's someone who groans over their cup of coffee. He would be like, oh, you, oh, Jeff, I know you don't drink coffee, but smell this cup of coffee. And I'm like, buddy, you need a life, you know, this is wrong. And then he'd begin to sip it, oh, that is a, and I thought he was just strange. Turns out he's biblical. That is exactly (laughs) what God is calling us to do, is to enter into these fine blessings that God's given us and savor them. Don't rush through them. Smell the roses. I want to point out this phrase. It says, for God has already approved what you do. That's a curious phrase, isn't it? You've got to admit that. God has approving what you're doing. He's referring to this enjoying food and wine. And, And God is saying, in a sense, listen, as you enjoy those blessings that he gives, you've got to realize in that moment he is approving what you do. The concept of God's approval there is God's delight, God's pleasure. And you say, wait a minute, God's delighted when I worship him in church. God's delighted when I pray. God's delighted when I give generously to his eternal cause. God's delighted when I serve at church. He doesn't care about me enjoying a good meal. Yes, he does. According to the book of Ecclesiastes, it's all sacred. This secular sacred delineation is a false distinction. The book of Ecclesiastes says all of life is a gift from God, and God cares about it all. And if he has given you good things to enjoy, you honor him by your enjoyment of them, by savoring the beauty of the world around you and the food that we eat and the drink that we drink. God says, you worship me in that moment by eating unto me. And folks, I know it's hard for us to get our mind around that, but every moment is one that is inhabited by the presence of God. His face is always on us. And yes, when we pray and worship and serve, he is smiling at us. But when we enjoy the good gifts he has given, he is smiling as well. Say, Lord, I'm going to eat this. As worship unto you, I recognize you have given it, and I will enjoy it. Now, according to biblical instructions, obviously if we say, hey, I'm going to enjoy life, and we go crazy and go into sin, that would not please God. But as we embrace life according to his guidance, his approval, his smile is on us. Always be clothed in white, Always anoint your head with oil. I love that. You know, one of the uh, things of the ancient world is white was not a very practical color. In an ancient world where there was dirt roads everywhere and everybody just kind of walked around and there was a dust ball, white just got dirty. And so white clothing would be that clothing reserved only for very special occasions, for those big moments when life was significant. 
And oil was very expensive. It was a hair product. They would put oil on their hair, and it was fragrance. It was a perfumed oil. And so this is like cologne or perfume. And it was expensive. They only used it on those really special moments. And so the people tended to view most days as ordinary and blah, punctuated by occasional rare moments of celebration. And God says, no, every day is sacred. That's the point here. It's not really what color you wear, but a recognition that don't wait until things get better and there's reason for joy. Every day there's reason for joy if you have eyes to see it. Always be clothed in white. Always wear that oil. The point here is that we should find the beauty in every day, in every moment, and live it to the full. Enter into the joy of God's graces seen by those who have eyes to see. Sometimes we miss them. You know, Helen Keller uh, wrote a quote that I was very moved by recently. Here's a picture of Helen Keller, who, uh, as you know, was blind and deaf, trapped in a world of darkness and utter silence. And yet she said this, even though I cannot see, I find hundreds of things to interest me through mere touch. She said, I feel the delicate symmetry of a leaf. I pass my hands lovingly about the smooth skin of a silver birch or the rough, shaggy bark of a pine. I feel the delightful, velvety texture of a flower and discover the remarkable convolutions and something of the miracle of nature is revealed to me in those moments. If I can get so much pleasure out of mere touch, how much more beauty must be revealed by sight? She just wonders. Yet, she said, those who have eyes apparently see little. The panorama of color and action which fill the world are taken for granted by most. It is a great pity that the gift of sight is used as only a mere convenience rather than as a means of adding fullness to life. Is she right? I think so. I think the truth is that every day all around us is beauty and is goodness of God there to be enjoyed and savored. And yet we tend to be so distracted and so much in a hurry that we are those who fail to enjoy that beauty. We need to stop. We need to look around. We need to say, God, where are the gifts that you've given? Is this sunrise a gift from you? Is this breakfast a gift from you? Is that bird chirping in the tree a gift from you? I'm going to enter into those moments and worship you by enjoying them deeply, by celebrating this day. Enjoy the gifts. The second is enjoy the people. Enjoy the people. Obviously, this passage referred to the marriage relationship. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. But I think it's fair to extend it to all the people that God has blessed us with. 
you know, relationships are one of God's greatest gifts. And God says, I want you to not take for granted the people I've put in your life, but enjoy them. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, life is confusing. But that shouldn't stop you from enjoying people. Are they sinners? Yes, every one of them. Can they be frustrating and annoying? Yes, they can be. But they are precious and they are a gift. An application of this would be found in just opening up the baby book of your kids, if you have any. And what begins to happen in you as you look at those pictures is you say, oh, I miss those days. Look how cute they were. And I failed to savor them as greatly as I ought. They just passed so quickly and now they're gone. Know that feeling? God says, don't let that happen. Don't get to the end of life and say, oh, I missed cherishing my wife, my husband, my people. Um, just this week, my, uh, was it, uh, I think Wednesday night, my daughter Jora came to me. She's 16 years old. And she goes, Dad, I got an idea. Let's try to hunt down Dead Poets Society and watch it tonight. She had heard me talk about how great that movie was and how much I loved it back when I was in college when it came out. She'd never seen it. And the problem is that night I had set aside for a project. I was going to paint some shelving in my basement. And I was just about to say, Jura, I'd love to, but I can't. I got a project to work on. And God just spoke to me and said, she's going to be gone in two years, Jeff. Enjoy your daughter. And so I started looking around. Finally, at a library, I found the DVD of Dead Poets Society. Ran out, got it, brought it back. And the two of us sat down on the couch, and we watched this movie together. And I'll confess that we both cried at the end. All right, there you go. My man card is now given up. (laughs) But there's that scene at the end where the students step up on the desk as Mr. Keating is being fired, and they look at him, and they say, Oh, captain, my captain. I guess he had to be there. Anyways, it is powerful and when it was over, Jorah and I just sat in the dark and talked about the movie, about how it stirred her soul and how it stirred mine, about our dreams and how we want to live out some of what God taught us through that movie. And it was a precious moment of celebrating, enjoying that relationship. And too often, I miss. I'm such a task progress-oriented individual that I fail at times to cherish those God has blessed me with. That's a mistake. God says, yeah, is life frustrating? It is. But don't be a fool. Enjoy God's good gifts and enjoy the people God has blessed you with. Let's go to the last. And this is from a verse we haven't read yet, but that is enjoy the work the job, the labor. As we continue now on to the second part of verse 9, it says this, For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I love this. Uh, This verse says, you know, this is your lot in life, your toilsome labor. The phrase, your lot in life, is used recurringly in the Old Testament. Uh, And it says, this is your portion. 
as if you know the pie of life has been cut into portions and you've been given a portion. In other words, your labor is your portion. It's your who's giving the portion by the way God is. This is an assignment by God. God says, you are being called by me to do this work. And being that it's from God, we're supposed to dive into work with gusto and do it as unto the Lord, to do it with all your might. Unfortunately, some people view work as a necessary evil. And they look towards retirement and they say, finally, someday I'll get to stop this horrible thing. You know, that is not a Christian perspective. Christians view work to be a gift from God. You say, wait a minute, at the fall, remember, Adam and Eve sinned, and God said, now as you work in the field, you're going to sweat and toil and agony. Work is marred by the fall and the curse. Work is frustrating because of the curse. But work was given to Adam and Eve before they fell. Work is a perfect gift from God. In fact, work, applying your energies and skill to create and serve, this reflects the very nature of God. The Bible says in the early chapters of Genesis that God created for six days and then rested on the seventh, that God labored, and we reflect his very image when we work hard. And so work is noble, Work has dignity in it. We are fully human when we work hard. We reflect the very nature of God when we work hard. And so don't view it as a necessary evil. You know, if you're doing the dishes and if you're folding laundry, when you're done and you put that basket down, say, God, that was for you. I worked hard and I did it because you wanted me to. It was my portion My assignment, it was my lot, and I did it the best I could. If you're pulling teeth or writing a sermon or teaching a class or mowing a lawn, do it with your very best and know that God receives it as worship to him and that he is pleased by your labor. And when you come home after a long day and you are tired, feel the joy of God's smile as you did your best unto him. Folks, uh, sometimes work can be frustrating in this repetitive, I'll do it again today and do it again today. But as we mature in our theological, biblical perspective, we should increasingly find joy in our labor. Do you see what God is saying? God's like, listen, people, I know life is frustrating. I know it's confusing. I know it's meaningless. But God says, I can infuse meaning into it and joy into it and celebration into it if you'll be attentive to the beauty. And my beauty can be seen in the gifts that I've given you and the people that I've given you and the work that I've given you. So every day, live it to the full. Or as Robin Williams said in Dead Poet Society, carpe diem. Seize the day. That's the sentiment found in this passage we just studied. That every day is rich for those who have eyes to see. And every day is reason for excitement and rejoicing and celebration, even in the midst of the frustration and disappointment. 
And so we need to be a people who wake up in the morning and says, this is a day the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it. I will live this day to the full. I will enter into every conversation and every blessing and every task with a fervor given me strength by the Holy Spirit. And God, may I find joy in it and may you be honored by the way I live it. You know, just uh, Friday, as I mentioned, it was my anniversary. And uh, Jen and I, we planned the ideal night. You know, we had found a little restaurant in downtown Naperville we had never been at. And we thought, how about on a glorious night, we'll take a walk on the river walk. We're blessed with such a beautiful path. Nice walk on the river walk Friday night. Do you remember what Friday night was doing? Raining and a walk on the river walk. And at the restaurant, my wife ordered a dish that she had an allergic reaction to. And so great pain. And I loved my dish, but my dish didn't love me. And I had a mad dash to the bathroom, and I'll spare you any more details after that. And so our perfect plans didn't work out. And yet, Jen and I chose to live it to the full. We could have said, oh, look at this, everything goes wrong for us, you know, what's going on? But you know what we talked about? The book of Ecclesiastes. Jen just happened to have gotten to this book and her read through the Bible that she's working on presently. And so we discussed it and we said, what are the meaningless, frustrating experiences that we've had in life? And we had plenty, including that night. And we said, what are the graces and the goodness of God on display in our lives? And we had even more. And as we talked about our disappointment and dreams, and as we bonded over dinner, it was deep. It was rich. It was worship. It was obedience. The Bible says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. I was doing the Bible right there at dinner. And as Jen and I walked out to our car trying to squeeze under our umbrella, there was joy and love in our hearts, thanking God for the beauty of this night. Imperfect, yes. Beautiful, yes. That's life on planet Earth. Would you pray with me? God, we bow in humble recognition that at times the discouragement of this world, the darkness of this world, sours us. Sometimes the busyness of life causes us to waste days, to squander them. And God, we recognize right now that failure to enjoy life is a sin, and we repent of that sin. Forgive us and teach us. Open our eyes to the good gifts and good people and the good work that you bless us with every day. Teach us to enjoy them deeply as you intended. And may you be delighted in the way we seize the day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>